Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the first episode of Generational Emotions. I'm your co-host, Soma Lambert, joined by my co-host, Doug Fulp. Doug, how are you this morning? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Soma? I'm doing absolutely excellent. You know, this is a, an idea for a show that I've been wanting to do for a long time. We've, we've had some debates in the past. Um, I'm sure uh, GM Jeff could relate to a couple of those, those good old Jordan versus LeBron debates. And this my is favorite ever. And my, my favorite. All. And this is going to be the kind of theme of the show where pretty much I'm going to come at you with a, the new era and, uh, and, and how it is. And we're going to relate it to oh, how it might have been back in the day where, where Doug was a, a young lad like myself. Um, but first of all, let's transition to the NBA on this day in history. This is going to be one of our go-to segments where we're going to take the current day that we are in and we're going to flash it back uh, at least a minimum of 10 years. But we're not going by that yet because I was scrolling through Twitter the other day and on this day, actually on yesterday's day, so I guess it's not technically this day, but on yesterday's day, seven years ago, we witnessed the birth of Linsanity. Doug, what, what's your fondest memory of the Linsanity era? Probably the greatest era of this new era Knicks basketball that's happened in the last 10 years. You're not wrong on that. I'm not. That's, that's the sad part. Uh, yeah, it's very interesting to see well where they've been, where they've gone, the different players they brought in, but definitely Linsanity. Uh, come was... on, how exciting was that? I mean, we First of all, it's kind of... It, it, it gets to a talking point where we don't... I can't think, and correct me if I'm wrong, of a uh, of a Chinese-born player dominating in the NBA. Okay, that's not true. We have we have plenty. There's Yao Ming, obviously, but Yao Ming's the main one. Yao right? Ming's the main one, but at, at least at, at least in the number's small. Okay, the number's small. I'll it's say not that. Traditionally represented on teams that would have a Chinese-born player, and, and then that's that's the route that a lot of people were taking. I think, and and then obviously, uh, I mean, the, the fans from overseas coming to uh, Madison Square Garden, and, and they. I remember the the Knicks were doing promotional uh, or something or other, and and Jeremy Lin was on that trip. I just uh, the guy was a rock star. For for I've never seen a, a player I think in the NBA NFL anywhere have a two month Hall of Fame window. I guess is where I'm trying to go with it. Hall of Fame is a little bit or strong, Hall 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 of no, Fame is I a little strong. I get what strong, you're talking but. about though, and I remember that too. That it was, and I think the largest part was because it came out of nowhere. There was nobody who was. There weren't a whole lot of people who were saying, "Oh, watch this guy." No, I'm telling you, this guy's gonna be good. No, he was like closer to a sixth man on a team that wasn't doing so hot. They had been playing around right about that time, I think, with the Stoudemire trade was just a little bit before then. And so you had some bigger names that were taking the attention on the Knicks. And then mm -hmm. Carmelo was hurt at the time, and so he wasn't playing. Right. And so then Jeremy Link, I mean, literally out of nowhere, and just putting on clinics. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know if he thought he could do that, but – it was a whole lot of fun to watch. It made me start to think, though, what other players of that caliber have come up in basketball in general, or, or, from, or from your day. Can you can you think of any players that that were flashing the pans like that? Well, there's always the, the like what who who comes to mind in that conversation? Because for me, Jeremy Lin is really the only the only one I can think of. Well, I think there's different players that. 
again, like I said, I think that there's other players where people are trying to sell you on the idea of them. And so sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're wrong. More times they're wrong than they're right. But uh, I remember in the early sac or the early 2000s Sacramento days and you had white chocolate. That was a surprise for some players. Uh, Jason some Williams people. had a good career. He did, but he came out of like, he ended up schooling some people in his early part of his career. That's true. The, they were like, okay, he's flashy. Yeah. He's good. But wait until he goes up against the Gary Paytons. Wait until he goes up nah. against the, the number one players on some teams. And he still made them look foolish. So I think there's some surprises that have come out. But again, I think that those people already had their own little champions. Jeremy Lin didn't have any champions. There were no champions coming out of Harvard. They were like, yeah, Jeremy Lin, watch this guy come up. Watch him going to take some names. Do we have any? I can't even think of another notable Harvard uh, alum. I was going to say Andrew Luck, but he went to... St- I, get, I get Harvard and Stanford mixed up. Fitzpatrick, there we go. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah, Fitzmoney, okay, there, there's a good Fitz one. Fitzmoney, the one who goes... Well, never mind, we'll get into that another <laughs> time. But uh, now he's another Harvard alum that, that's a... That's a good one. A highlight. That's a good one. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna dip into the maybe for next week's show. Well, I'll try and come up with some some real good names. Or I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw maybe some like stat lines at you or something. See if you can come up with the name. <laughs> we'll see about it. Uh, let's move on to some headlines here, Doug. Let's talk about some of this Anthony Davis drama that's going on. And we were just talking a little bit before we got on here about how different the uh, the, the trading in the NBA was. Uh, you know, in the in the 80s and the 90s and, you know, during the era, obviously no social media. Um, there is still a loyalty factor uh, from from what I'm getting from you. Was there not? Yeah, I think that's even the players that you saw. Somehow teams were figuring out a way to keep their core players, core players. There's players that you look back to the days, including your own Blazers, mm-hmm. Clyde Drexler, um, most of his career playing for one team. And you saw that, but I also that's also a great player in the idea of that was kind of the transition. That's where you started to see the free agency component come in and where, not in a negative way, but I think there became a part of the ego era of basketball. Do you think that Shaq moving from Orlando to Lakers really started it all? I was having this talk. Uh, my, my friend came at me with that the other day. Is like, ever since Shaq picked up and left Orlando, uh, that, that was that was the 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 start of everything can, can you name uh, or think of another instance before Shaq going to the I'm Lakers have to, to generate to the archives think, in the uh, back of my head think but, back on that we'll um, come back to that maybe I, but I think that that and that's another good example of it too of identifying a player who was on a good team I, him and Penny were putting together a strong playoff presence they could have filled in a few extra spices on the outside I think um, and built around them a little bit more but it started getting into an ego component where it was, what can you do in a more immediacy to create some of those super teams? Mm-hmm. But not all the super teams were that super. And especially when we look back at the 80s and the 90s, those super teams were kind of started to put together themselves without the free agency component to it. Like when we look at the Detroit Pistons and the mean teams, those guys were just drafted. They were looking for specific type players that they were drafting, that they recruited, that they're getting into the, that core group. But then we saw the, where the, and I mean, I would say like the Dennis Rodman moving to the bulls right. was a huge component of that idea of putting superstars together to create the idea of a super team. Mm-hmm. So let's get back to, to where we're at now. Anthony Davis to the Lakers before Thursday's deadline, before we get into it more. Yes or no. I say no. You say no. 
I also say no. And and here's why. Besides the fact that, you know, Adrian Wojnarowski and all the people are telling us that it's not going to happen now because the Lakers have zero leverage. It's, it's like I saw this uh, this uh, little meme about it pretty much. It's like, you know, you're trying to, to sell y- your car, right? And you have a buyer. But then a, a third party comes in and is like, all right, well, how much you sell in the car for? Oh, 50K or whatever. Okay, I will give you six of my cars for your one car, how's that sound? No, my car is way better than yours. I'm not going to take six of your broken down 99 Honda Civics for my, you know, Miata or, or whatever it is. Uh, it really paints the picture of what this is. The Lakers' young core just is not developed or good enough in the eyes of the Pelicans right now. And apparently, their Dell Demps and their front office are pretty much getting wanting them to bark like seals. Right. was the quote that I saw. Well, that's the interesting part of it, too. When you talk about the trades and comparing to the old days, the old days, people were just waiting out their contracts, finishing right. it out. He still has, what, a year and a half left on this contract? He still has all of next year. Yeah. yeah. So looking at that and the idea of that ego playing into it, I mean, at the same time, you could also flip the script and say, not only for his own benefit, but this is the only way the Pelicans are going to get anything out of this deal. Otherwise, he plays for them for another year and a half. He's a year and a half older. Pelicans get zero, literally zero Nothing. for him, and he leaves in free agency. So him telling them that he wants to get out now is almost better for the team in this idea that they can get something yeah. for him. Uh, so many times we've seen players, you know, lately play out their their contracts and not end up giving, you know, the their team anything in return. You know, Kevin Durant leaving. Right. I mean, obviously. Um, but here, here's, so apparently Danny Ainge and the Celtics are trying to get that front office to wait because they could offer them a lot in the summer because the whole Rose rule, they can't offer or go for them now. Well, that's um, the funny thing is that, like you said, with the cars component, you have, what if someone comes in and offers you more cash mm-hmm. and it just creates a bidding war or like the idea of buying a house and then there's two people who really want that house. Like the idea of competition is really what the Pelicans need out of this. They need to wait. They need to wait until Boston's, even if they have no interest whatsoever in any of the Boston players, which they should. But um, say they didn't. Say they have no care in the world about any of the players on there. They don't want Kyrie. They don't want anybody. They wait until the summer, and now they raise the value to a Kyrie level. Now the Lakers have to meet it. Mm. And now the Lakers have to give up more of the pieces, and the Pelicans only end up better by waiting. So them in the idea of trying to do a snap trade now, not going to impact the season as much. What you got to be looking at is what is that long term of what's next year going to look like, that last year on that contract, and who are you going to be able to get to bring in that's going to fit the culture that you're going to build around for the future because this is their opportunity. I was having a conversation with same friend. I, I refer to a friend. It's always the same friend. Anyway. Um, Soma has more than one friend. It's okay. Uh, we know it's true. Uh, but just this one friend that's really smart in sports. I appreciate it. Anyway, he was telling me that he thinks that Rich Paul and all Anthony Davis's little goons are trying to spin a story that is going to put a bad uh, shadow on the Celtics, right? Because we saw Anthony Davis's father uh, sending the the text to ESPN, my son will never play for the Celtics because of how they treated Isaiah Thomas, which is fair, 100%. I, I understand, but immediately I'm like, Oh, he want they're trying to get him to the Lakers so so bad. And last night, the biggest thing, which makes me feel like they might actually move him before Thursday, he wanted to play last night. He was a healthy scratch, but management told him he couldn't play. Why would they do that unless they're trying to move him before Thursday's deadline? 
to, to me, the, the, it's like 50% of the, the front office in New Orleans wants to, you know, trade him because it's bad. It's bad PR having, you know, your best player on a town or a city that's not really a basketball city. They love their Saints. I right. think we know that much. Um, they're not the Pelicans, you know, no one wants to play the Pelicans. You know, Chris, they lost Chris Paul, and now they're losing at two transcendental type players that they lost via, and they drafted them too. That's not a good look on your franchise. So I think the pressure is on them to move him. But I also think half the pressure is on them to wait until the offseason. But nonetheless, he is not going to be in a Pelicans jersey at the start of next season. That much I'm confident about. Everyone knows that one. That yes. much I'm Everyone could come to the agreement on that. And I think but also maybe the front office might not want to have to answer questions for the next six months on this. Yeah. Because that's exactly. what they're going to get. It's always going to be no matter what. If it doesn't happen by the deadline, it's where are you going to talk to? Who do you like? What's we, what's he worth? Who are you going to draft to replace mm-hmm. him? It's all those conversations are just going to keep in an auto loop over and over and over again. But I think the organization benefits far more by waiting until the summer and raising that value. Because they could immediately turn that Anthony Davis into Zion Williamson if they really wanted to. I mean, you're going to be shipping Anthony Davis to a team. But, I mean, see, here's a, another problem i have players feel like they have like you can give obviously front office of destinations but you know if i'm the gm of that team am i gonna send you know him to the lakers for kuzma ball and ingram i mean that's a pretty nice trio to build off of or am i gonna look at the you know uh, phoenix suns or or whatever that you know ooh, you have the first pick in the draft i can go get the next guy the next big you know, Ben Simmons, LeBron type caliber player, and I can try and get him to stay in New Orleans. But like I said before, are they going to feel like they can't keep that kind of player in a city that doesn't really have that basketball mm, to it? You know, no, I hear it. I hear it. I was a little, I was very hopeful for them last year with the idea of him and Cousins together mm, yeah. and something to build around. But uh, 20, you know, some things that will never yeah, be. 2018 Pelicans team. I remember him very, very well. Um, they sweat no my, one else will. Yeah, okay. yeah, they sweat my blazers handedly. Anyway, let's uh, let's move on to something else that I saw, um, and this is going to really relate to the Jordan era, so I'm excited for this. Uh, I'm not sure if you heard what Kobe had to say about uh, the Rockets and James Harden the other day, but he was on the jump, uh, Rachel's Nichol, Rachel Nichols show on ESPN, saying that uh, with Harden dominating the ball the way he is, they will never win a championship. And it got me thinking, hmm, Kobe saying that if you dominate the ball, you know, you're not going to win a championship. Not really the caliber of player I feel like to be saying that. But then I was, you know, I was informed that, you know, Kobe ran the triangle. You know, he had Shaq on those teams. The better player. I will firmly go down to my grave saying this, that Shaq is the better player on that Kobe and Shaq team. You're you're giving me like the smirky smile, and I don't like it. But Shaquille O'Neal is probably my favorite player of all time, so I'm a little bit biased. But anyway, can they can James Harden and the Rockets play and win championships like this, or can't they? And also, was Jordan that kind of ball dominant player, or because me, I didn't get to watch Jordan. 
that that's the saddest thing in in history. I'm a huge sport, and I didn't get to watch the best player of any sport platform probably of all time. So that's why I like to have you in here. But did Jordan have that Harden like game to him a little bit? A little bit, but it, it was a little bit different. Too. Obviously, Jordan so played defense, of, one of the best defenders well, of all time. So. Yeah, he was all def- all defense. Yeah, many. many We're never going to say that career. about James Harden. So uh, no one will ever mix those words. No, I'm, um, I feel shameful even comparing the two. But anyway, we're we're doing. But the it. idea for the offense. So some of my fondest memories of the NBA are watching the Sonics play into the finals, playing against the Bulls in the finals, uh, and then watching the transition into the Bulls dynasty and watching Michael Jordan. And at the time, you kind of knew what you were watching. Um, That's why some people are talking about that with Tom Brady recently Mm -hmm. with the Super Bowls and things. I can relate to that because I knew at I'm like 12, 13, 14 at the time, but watching him just going nuts and... At the same time, he would put the ball in his own hands if the game was on the line, mm. if that was the moment that needed to happen. But he also wasn't shy about the idea of drawing that triple team sometimes and kicking the ball to Steve Kerr on the line and just letting him hit threes all day long. Right. So some of the, if you look at some of the finals and some of the great plays that he made, it's great no-look passes to Scottie Pippen, to Steve Kerr, to a number of different players that I'm forgetting their names right now. Sorry, old Bulls team players. Um, but... Jordan would put the ball on his back, but and he needed the ball in his hands most of the time, but it was also about facilitation. And I don't see Harden as the facilitator. He once he gets that ball, it it's not usually coming I have back a out. Couple fr- friends that are Rockets fans, and I've had the same argument against them. All they're extremely top heavy with Chris Paul, Harden, and then Chris Paul and Har- or Capella have missed an extended amount of time. So he's well, Harden's been doing is phenomenal. Not going to take that away from him. Like he is. I don't. I was having the same conversation and I was saying how I don't think, obviously you compare Harden to Kobe a lot and what he's doing right now. I haven't really seen that kind of offensive juggernaut since Kobe. Right. Is the way I look at it. But is James, uh, yes or no to this, is James on every, how do I put this? James Harden to me dominates every aspect of the offense. Free throw line, perimeter shooting, putting the ball on the deck, obviously. He is a mastermind of drawing contact even when there is no contact and your your hands are completely behind behind the back he will find a way i can't really think i mean because kobe kobe was just a killer kobe yeah. was a but hardened shooting you know 20 for 20 at the free throw line when he's shooting you know when he's having a, a butt night from the field right he's still putting out 30 points because he's going to the line 30 times i don't remember seeing a player that was able to do that and all aspects of the offense was Jordan that kind of player in respects to the getting to the free throw line or is Harden has Harden really the transformed was, the game the, that's one of those things that it's a generational thing too it's a generational is thing the defense that was played back then they didn't call yeah, as yeah. many fouls so therefore the ball right. I mean that's why the scores were so much lower was they weren't cutting the clock to go to the free throw line all the time. They were, you got knocked down. All right, time to get back up and go back and do it again. Mm-hmm. And you do it to them on the other end of the floor. So Jordan didn't hit as many free throws and didn't go to the line. I, I'm going to actually go back and look at the stats now. Just now you bring it up. But, um, but I don't remember the game stopping as much. It was more free flow. And so in the aspects that he was involved in a different game, he was, and I, he facil- again he facilitated, which I don't think we'd ever use the word as much for Harden. Yeah. Um, he just takes over. But you also look at the LeBron James games of the Cle- Cleveland mm-hmm. years, in the, especially the first time around. Um, 
yes, you can do well. You can get into the postseason, but I agree with Kobe. It's hard to carry a team all the way to a finals by yourself. Yeah, 100%. And Kobe should be able to say that because later year of Kobe, he wasn't able to do it himself. Right. And he's one of the greatest of all we, times, we, too. Yeah. And he couldn't elevate a team. They of made the, the last-ditch effort with a broken half of a back Steve Nash and uh, a Dwight Howard that just did not. <laughs> that was supposed to work. That was supposed to supposed work, to. and it failed. What was supposed to happen was it was supposed to be Chris Paul, him, and Dwight Howard, and for some reason that got vetoed. But nonetheless, to your, uh, and I want I wanted to say this when I was trying to uh, come up with the the name of this show, you know, because you got the the old era, right? The hard era, as I like to call it, and then you got the yeah. soft era. Came up with hard and soft. It, it got a, a a thumbs down. They didn't <laughs> they didn't like that idea. But anyway, let's let's move on down the list here. Um, you know the trade deadline's on Thursday, uh, so I want to give you kind of some old giant trades of past uh, in in honor of the trade deadline as we kind of wrap up the show today. So I'm gonna hit, I'm gonna go ahead and, and hit you with this first one. You tell me if uh, you remember what the the return was uh, in this deal. Okay, this is the Ray Allen for Gary Payton trade back in 2003, right? When the Sonics, of course, got Ray Allen in the deal, and they shipped over Gary Payton. Can you name anyone else that was involved in that deal? Wow. I, 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 was, remember, I was looking at these, and I'm like, I... I remember when it happened. Oh, man. Gary Payton's one of my greatest favorite players of all time. Mm-hmm. And I remember that that was... I'll, I'll help you out. Uh, in the deal... Seattle also got current UConn men's basketball coach in the deal. (laughs) So Seattle got Ray Allen, Kevin Ollie, Ronald Murray in the deal, plus a uh, future pick. Uh, And the Bucks got Gary Payton and Desmond Mason. Who won that? Desmond Mason, that's right. Who won that deal? I don't think Seattle won that deal, and I also don't think Milwaukee won that deal. The Seattle... I mean, I guess I would say Seattle probably won that deal just in the short term. The Seattle but. franchise for what it led into to its mutation, uh, which we won't talk about this episode. Um, but, well, because then he didn't, because then what? He got, that one got parlayed into, doesn't that what created the Gary Payton into mm-hmm. the Lakers yeah, with Carl Malone? Exactly. Yeah. And that was supposed to be a super team that completely fell on its face. Yeah. Um, I was so surprised when that happened. I thought that they were going to rival the the 91 record and Mm -hmm. everything, but no. Um, Sometimes when you put a bunch of old players together, it it just doesn't quite work. It doesn't work. Yep. But yeah, gosh, that's a a blast from the past. I don't remember that trade as much. Let's go down. uh, Let's let's keep on moving. This one, this one was a, is a good one. This, uh, so this is a deal between the Pacers and the Bulls. In 2002, this is the deal that sent Ron Artest, the former artist known as Ron Artest, now Metal World Peace, Meta. Uh, that sent him to the Pacers and also uh, equaled in the single greatest slash disaster, uh, the mouse at the palace. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Oh, yes. Uh, firmly enhanced security detail at NBA games. Uh, not enough, probably. Um, but anyway, so the Pacers got in this deal, Ron Artest, uh, from the Bulls, uh, the Bulls got Jalen Rose, Norm, Norm Richardson, Travis Best, and a second round pick who won that deal. (laughs) Oh, I think you gotta say that 
Uh, at the time, Jalen Rose was still averaging a, a respectable like right. twenty a game. He was doing all right. And this this is if if Jalen Rose doesn't get involved in this deal here, and Ron Artest doesn't go to the Pacers, one malice at the palace probably doesn't happen. Well, and two, Jalen Rose isn't there for Kobe to to ice up and put eighty buckets on him. Butterfly oh, effect. Butterfly, Butterfly effect. effect. Never know. All the ripples. <laughs> um. So I wonder. So on one end, if you could say that, if you go with the adage that. No news or bad news or whatever it is that there no bad news is bad or no news is bad no news. No news so is bad news. In that idea, then I guess the Pacers win. Um by staying out of that limelight, I think the Bulls win in that notice of of getting the, I mean you always knew that that was kind of one of the things that, that could happen mm-hmm. with the artist formerly known as Run Our Test. And so getting away from that was probably a good idea. Um, especially in those years when they were trying to rebuild. Um, but I don't know, that's a hard one. All right, I'll move on to the next one here. The whole point of this is pretty much you can you can go and win yourself a championship by by trading for one piece. And that was extremely important for the 2004 Pistons who traded for Rashid Wallace and constructed probably one of my favorite era because I grew up my my peak era of basketball where I was really starting to get was about that 2002 to 2004 window. Those are some of my, those Nets teams with Jason Kidd on them and mm-hmm. and Vince Carter. Those were some of my favorite teams as a kid. And this 2004 Pistons team probably will go down as one of my favorites of all time. You got Rasheed Wallace, Tayshawn Prince, Rip Hamilton, Chauncey Billups, Big Shot, and then of course you got the fro Ben Wallace down low. And they brought over Rasheed Wallace at the deadline, and that really tipped him over. No, I completely agree. I remember when that happened. and That was right before Stucky, right? That was mm-hmm. just a year or two before. And Stucky played a year at Eastern Washington. Yep. So uh, I got to watch that. I got to watch him a little bit in high school, too. I, for, I always forget Stucky's, right a, yeah, Stucky's a, a local guy. Uh, Peyton, one of our sports guys here, is a big Rodney Stucky fan. I'm not sure why. But uh, sometimes you gotta go with the hometown heroes. Yeah, I mean, that's why we all love uh, IT, right? Yeah, I, I get it. You know, I, I have this. I have this theory that uh, somehow, if, if Seattle garnishes an NBA team in the next five years, a, a 37, 38 year old Isaiah Thomas will come off that bench and and. See, that's what I thought about two years ago, three years ago, before IT made his uh, resurgence with the Celtics. Mm-hmm. That uh, him on the Sacramento team with. Uh, Cousins and there was another two five three kid that was on that team that that I don't I'm gonna try to jog my memory real quick, but I was thinking cause they were there was rumors of talking about Sacramento moving up and becoming Seattle's new team. Yep, I remember those and talks. Yeah, I was like, how cool would that be? That'd be pretty cool. I mean, you got Cousins just dominating, good or bad in the side, but then you had it and at the time, of course, I always had full faith in it being able to yeah to take over, um, kind of like the Suns days and then the Celtics mm-hmm. days. Um, but in the future, I don't know that IT has that left in him at, at the older we'll see. ages. We'll see. I'm excited. Hopefully, we'll get some Isaiah Thomas playing for the Nuggets soon. That's a team. Sidetrack here. I'm a real big Nuggets believer this year. But let's stick. Okay, let's stick with the trades here as we as we round it out uh, for today's episode. You're gonna like this one. Uh, I didn't know this one. I did not was not aware this one happened. Uh, the Clippers moved Baron Davis's contract to the Cavs, right? But to do that, they had to add a first-round pick to that to, to, for Cleveland to absorb that contract. Who did that first-round pick turn into? Well, the way you're looking at me. Two th- this, this is a 2010 trade. Th- 
guesses? Uh, nothing. 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 Kyrie Irving. Oh, I should have known that. I did. I really. I did that. not right remember frame. that. That's the right time frame. That is insane to me that that ended up because so the Cavs had a two point five percent chance in the lottery that year to get number one, and somehow they got it with this pick. So Baron Davis turns out to be Kyrie Irving, who we uh, now know has caused so much trouble in these trade rumors and and all these these media articles that there's oh everything depends on where Kyrie goes. Oh, Kyrie's the ultimate. Uh, staff holder in in the middle of this 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 chessboard. Well, that's just spinning the narrative though too. That's it's always spinning the narrative. That's the idea of just trying to create the story for whether that's for the media, for the different players, or for the different organizations to try to again lobby up what is the value of these trades. I'm excited of what uh, it's going to happen before Thursday's deadline. Um, already, we've seen a big trade: the Porzingis trade to the Mavericks. Uh, we've seen big trades recently, the Boogie Cousins trade, of course, that could have ended up in something really special, I think, but unfortunately, we'll we'll never know. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Um, Did you see that they were the comments out of Dallas, too, is they want to keep them together for 20 years? Yeah. Uh, That's a lofty, well, one my, lofty goal, too. I don't know that the value is there in 20 years. One of my maybe. all-time favorite duos that w- w- couldn't come to fruition was that Steve Nash-Dirk duo. And of course, Cuban saying still that good, but it's, it's it's still it just didn't have enough time together though. Yeah, it was. And and Cuban saying exactly that he's not going to make the same mistake here with uh, Luca and and right. Porzingis, who if both of them stay on their course and Porzingis comes back healthy, I think championship potential. If you put some pieces around right. that and everything, that's Start insane. Building. Well, the first episode in the book of generational emotions. We'll get some nice little jingles or something maybe the next time around. Uh, same time next week, Doug. Sounds good to yeah. me. Awesome. See you next week.